and welcome to Detention. Joining us for this sports edition of the Detention Podcast, we have a whole cast of, I guess, former Iowa players and other uh, football stars. Desmond King, Christian Kirksey, TJ Hawkinson, uh, the ACC, as well as Nebraska Volleyball, which very rarely do we ever talk about that, but they did something cool for once, so I might as well acknowledge them. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I guess it is me, isn't it? Yeah, it is your week for this. Totally spacing. All right, well, sad news, man. My my girlfriend actually left me, and uh, she says it was because my life has been revolving around football, and she's sick of it. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm really heartbroken. I mean, we were together for three seasons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Three full seasons. God, I know my fiancé absolutely hates the fact that football is back on oh i have no doubt because i've already watched a few games yeah and she's been so upset about See, it what what my girlfriend and i have done is and fiance by the way yours yes you said girlfriend i said fiance i swear to god i heard girlfriend we can we can play it back but i um, said fiance whatever anyway uh whenever my girlfriend and i have issues of like I wanted to watch sports and she doesn't. Mm-hmm. I'll just watch it on my laptop. Oh. Honestly, she'll be watching something on TV. I'm watching it on the laptop. If I can't hear, I'll just put headphones in and just be watching. <laughs> so we kind of even out like that. Ah, my fiance would have uh, a little bit more to say about like why are you not spending time with me? Do oh, I hear that too. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. That that is something I still do here. But it's football season. It is football season, it and it's important. Us. It's important. So starting off with fo- football news. Uh, specifically with Desmond King and Christian Kirksey, they were both cut by their teams, respectively. Team, yep. Texans, same yep. team. We talked about that at the very ass end of last week. Mm-hmm. And within like the next day, they were both picked up by two separate teams now. So Desmond King is signing with the Pittsburgh Steelers on a one-year contract worth just over a million dollars, I saw. And Christian Kirksey is signing with the Buffalo Bills on a one-year contract. He is currently listed as practice squad only, though, and his salary reflects that of getting $370,000. But Kirksey's been in the league for eight, nine years now. I think a little bit longer than that. Um, I want to say it's been eight or nine seasons. We can get into that in just a little bit. We have a whole list of former Hawks that are still in the NFL. But I want to say that... Uh, he was his rookie season was like 2014 or something like that. So I want to say this is going into his ninth season. But always good to see them getting back onto you know rosters. I know Desmond King hasn't really done a whole of a lot since he was with the Chargers, but he's at least done enough to keep himself in rotation uh, for different teams. And Christian Christian Kirksey has always been a pretty solid linebacker on any team that he's been a part of. So I'm not too worried about him. The big news going into it for this week was TJ Hawkinson's contract extension that he got. Did you see it when it was released? Yeah, he's now the highest paid tight end. Tight end in the entire league, ahead of uh, Darren Waller now by just by $125,000 oh, per, per year. But it's a four-year contract extension with the Vikings that is worth $68.5 million dollars. So which brings his average yearly value to seventeen point one two five million. Like you said, he is the highest paid tight end in the NFL. Uh, he is getting this a contract extension after being traded to the Vikings, kind of in the first quarter of last season from the Detroit Lions. 
And with the Vikings last season, he caught 60 passes for 519 yards and three touchdowns within the 10 games that he was with them. So obviously they're expecting a lot of production out of him coming in the next four years because they're paying him a shitload of money. I'm not terribly worried about that. I think he can do pretty well because he's shown himself to be pretty competent in his position. It's just, I don't know, again, would he be worth the highest paid tight end in the league when there are probably a few other more veteran tight ends, like Kelsey, for example, that I think all around tend to do more for an offense? Depends on what your value is. I mean, obviously, Kelsey is like the main receiver. I just think he hasn't had a reworked contract. I feel like once that contract gets reworked, there's no doubt it's going to be him. Mm Mm-hmm. But you can't deny what Hawkinson brings to a team. So I, it makes sense. And he's younger than Waller, I'm fairly certain, in terms of oh, I think years he in is. the league. I so think he is. Waller you is have up. a longer period that he's going to be actually playing. Yep. So I think it makes sense. I mean, you look at what Hawkinson's done since he's come into the league. He's been one of the most consistent to play. Mm-hmm. Even though he's not built for blocking, he's still a pretty good blocker. And so you can't really deny what he's done. So to me, it makes sense. Yeah. He's four years younger than Darren Waller. Exactly. So that, you know, theoretically should give you four years more Mm -hmm. of, you know, abuse on the body. And and defenses are aware that Hawkinson is a threat, but it's not like a Gronk, right? Where Gronk towers Hawkinson in terms of just his pure size, Mm -hmm. but Hawkinson's dangerous. So, well, he is for sure. He gets lost and he finds the soft spots and defenses all the time. I mean, yeah. he's always, I mean, at Iowa, he was really good at that. Um, it would be interesting to see. I don't know, obviously, with them being former teammates, how much communication do you think Hawkinson has with Fan? I don't know. I that's something I'm always curious about is I have no doubt that when Iowa players get on teams with other Iowa players, they talk about it a little bit, mm-hmm. especially if they did play together during that time. They might chum it up after a game if the Seahawks play the Vikings, you know, and just say, hey, how's it going? But I don't know how much they keep in contact. I'm always curious about that myself. Because, you know, the whole talk about when both of them were at Iowa is they're both great, phenomenal tight ends. Hawkinson can do more for an offense just because he has more blocking capability than Noah Fant does, but Noah Fant was the freakish athlete between the two of them. And, you know, Hawkinson gets drafted nine or ten spots above Fant. Eleven. Eleven in the first I'm round. pretty sure Hawkinson was nine and Fant was 20. Oh, I thought it was ten and 20. Something like that. But anyway, and then Fant goes also just later in the first round. It's, yeah, I want to know how much communication there is because I'm sure he probably congratulated him, but I'm sure Fant's feeling a little sour about it. Maybe. Maybe George Kittle is too, but I'm sure George Kittle is just fun with how his life is anyway. The guy yeah, just I seems feel to like he doesn't everything. care too much as long as he's getting paid, and he's yeah. getting paid a decent amount of money anyway. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, so that leads us into uh, kind of just other Hawkeyes that are currently on NFL rosters for this upcoming season. Yes. And there was a list released from the source you gave me is Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register. Mm-hmm. And they have a list of 29 different Hawkeyes. Yeah. Which and is less than last season. A couple of them are starting. Yeah. A few of them, I should say, two that we expected for the one team are for sure starting. Yeah. Sam Laporta and Jack Campbell. Yep. For the that's, Lions, yep. That's what I've heard is that from camp, they uh, really showed 
their skills and impress a lot of coaches to at least have a lot of reps, if not starting for games. So um, I just want to kind of talk about some of the longer ones. Riley Reef is still in the NFL after 12 seasons. He's on IR right now. But he's with the Patriots. Yes. Right? He, I was actually reading an article about it, about the Patriots offseason and how they were doing. And one of the things was none of the starting uh, linemen except Riley Reef was playing in the last preseason game mm-hmm. and he got rolled up on. Mm. And so he's out right now for minimum of four games being placed on IR. So that's unfortunate because the Patriots kept 11 offensive linemen, which is more than anyone else in the league, because they're not sure how it's going to look, Yeah, which makes me feel great. Well, um, I'm sure somewhat of an aging line. Yeah. They have one of the more experienced lines going into the season, probably, I would assume, besides maybe like the Eagles or the Cowboys usually have pretty veteran front lines there. Um, already talked about Noah Fant, uh, AJ Epinesa, who is with the Buffalo Bills, is supposed to be seeing some more action this coming season. His teammate Micah Hyde is now entering his eleventh season with the and NFL. And his teammate Christian Kirksey. And his teammate Christian Kirksey. So a whole bunch of Iowa people on literally every level of defense. Speaking though of the Bills, Demar Hamlin did make the fifty-three man roster. Yes, and I would imagine that even if he didn't, they would keep him on the team in some capacity. Just because, again, when you have someone that has like given their literal body for the sport in that way, mm-hmm. even if he doesn't make the 53-man roster, you just keep him on in some way. He is a backup, though, to Michael Hyde. Michael Hyde. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, obviously that's how he got injured last year is because I think Hyde was injured. It's exactly, so, it's and exactly he had, how. And he had to fill the spot for him. So, um, some other kind of notable ones is Chauncey Golston still at the Cowboys um, ended with 22 tackles in 15 games last year I know I saw him in rotation quite a bit with the Cowboys and I was excited to see that um, Imani Hooker who I think we talked about last year signed a contract extension yep so he'll obviously be continuing with his team what's another one Casey uh, was it Creter? Creter. yeah he's been the New York Giants long snapper for a long time. Yeah. Like, I've been looking at the Iowa uh, depth charts for teams in the NFL, and I think he's been on there every year for the past, like, five or six years, if not longer. It says he's entering his eighth season and his fourth with the Giants. Yeah. So, and spent four with the Denver Broncos. So, you can so, be a long snapper. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tyler hey, Lindebaum, one. obviously. What? The one right below him. Oh, you mean Anthony Nelson no, with the, the Buccaneers? One him. Oh, well, I already talked Moss about it. To the, oh. to the Broncos. Oh. He, he stayed on. Yeah, he stayed on, but he's injured. Yeah. So I'm sure he's just, you know, they're keeping him because he's injured and they don't want to just fire him right away. I know we're talking about Iowa players, but I would like to say that even though he didn't graduate from there, Charlie Jones did make the 53 man roster for the Bengals. Did he really? Yes, he did. Oh, cool. He's like a third string receiver, but I think he's a backup kick returner, and I think he's a starting punt returner. Okay, well, you know that's probably one of his best skill sets. He's not going to match up to a lot of wide receivers in the NFL for starting. Let me double check here. Return stuff, I'm sure he would be very, very good at. He is the backup wide receiver too, and 
the starting punt returner and the backup kick returner. Yep. Nice. Good. Uh, Matt Nelson, which I just recently learned mainly because of this article, is that he flipped from D-line to O-line. That happened when he got drafted. You know, because I remember watching like preseason stuff for maybe the first year or maybe the second year that he was drafted in, and he was still doing D-line work. Yeah, but his first year, they switched him, and he's been O-line on the Lions ever since. Oh, really? His first season, yeah. I did not know that. So I'm like, that's kind of impressive. Yeah, but he looks way different. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's not as... I shouldn't say thin, because defensive linemen are thin, but right. they definitely have a different cut. build or cut yeah. to them. Yeah, for sure. This one is the one I am happiest about. Yeah, and it couldn't happen to like a better kind of person. Yeah, so Kayvon Merriweather, a guy who came into Iowa, didn't really have a lot of offers going into college. So mm-hmm. Iowa gave him, he pretty much had to like work his way into the spot like most people do in Kirk Ferentz, mm-hmm. but... He worked his way in the spot, didn't get a lot of hype, didn't get a lot of accolades because Riley Moss had him, and then Desmond King had him, and he was kind of overshadowed. In Jack the, Kerner. Yep, he was overshadowed in the Iowa defense. Well, didn't get drafted and worked his ass off in preseason and got a spot on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. I am so stoked for him. Well, looking at it, because he had a pretty good preseason with eight tackles, a fumble recovery, and a pass deflected. Yeah. For three preseason games. Yeah, he was all over the place. So he's showing that he's pretty versatile. Uh, Nick Neiman still with the Chargers. Or are you talking about Riley Reef? Brandon Sheriff is still with the Jacksonville Jaguars in his ninth season in the NFL. Um, Amir Smith-Marset, which we talked about being traded from KC to the Panthers, mm-hmm. is on their final roster team. Geno Stone still with the Baltimore Ravens. Luke Van Ness, first-round pick into the Green Bay, obviously made it. Zach Van Valkenburg, which he's been kind of, I wouldn't say a journeyman, but he started the Raiders. with the Raiders. Yeah, He, got, he was on, on and off the practice squad mm-hmm. on the Raiders. And then this last season, uh, this last preseason, I think, is when he was on with the Rams, and I kind of kept track of his totals in the Rams preseason games, and he had a couple pretty good games. Hmm. And then Tristan Wirfs still playing with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know that he was switched from uh, – Right tackle the left. Really? Mm-hmm. And I know that they were he was having some growing pains with it last season, but I think they're pretty optimistic that he'll do mm-hmm. fine. I don't know why they decided to move him, but I remember that being a talking point of how their line was a little bit awkward last year just because he was still trying to fit into his new role of being on the opposite side of the line. I'm like, why would you move him? I don't know. <laughs> but injuries probably uh, forced him to move that way anyway. All right. Last two things for football before we get into other stuff is that we talked about this last time. The ACC, it was at the time rumored to be wanting to offer extensions or offers for other teams to join their conference. It has actually become reality now where they extended invitations to Cal, Stanford, and SMU this past Friday, giving the league 18 schools in that conference now, 17 of which are permanent football members. Um, Notre Dame is that kind of quasi ACC team because most of their football schedule plays off of ACC teams. Anyway, Mm -hmm. they're just not listed as a football conference team. This obviously comes after the SEC big 12 and big 10 expanded their programs. Um, Now they are literally expanding from coast to coast, which we talked about was kind of stupid because they're called the Atlantic coastal conference. 
and now they switch from the Atlantic to the Pacific Coast. Honestly, for me, if you're going to keep the name ACC, switch it from the Atlantic Coast Conference to the American Coast Conference. Yeah. Coastal Conference. Yeah, that makes sense. You can easily keep the original logo ACC, but then just change verbiage behind the scenes. Exactly. Change a lot. Wouldn't have a lot of money spent for changing brands. Um, There are two primary reasons for why they were actually wanting to expand. I should say really three. One being other conferences were doing anyway, but one for money and the second one for security. There, since there were rumors of FSU and Clemson wanting to potentially lead the ACC, uh, which would be damaging to the league overall, they were seeing this as a move of trying to lessen that blow if that were to come. So adding extra security. If these two teams leave, okay, well, they left, but we still have these new three teams that entered. I'm just, I get money's a huge factor, but I just don't understand why a team would leave a Power 5 conference for another Power 5 conference. I, I under- TV right deals. It's literally all about money. That's why the Pac-12 failed, is because their commissioner was trying to work out a TV deal, and they kept telling the schools, I'm getting, we're working on it, we're working on it. And then the schools are just like, well, apparently not because we're not getting anywhere close to having a TV rights deal. Because I remember when A&M and Mizzou left Big 12 for SEC, mm-hmm. which I thought was a joke in this in itself. Oh, yeah. And they were just doing it because, well, especially Mizzou and A&M both thought, oh, we can compete in the big, in the SEC. It's Mizzou like did initially. One, one year. Two years. They made it to the conference game, title game, two years in a row. Got stomped by Alabama both times. Yeah, and they just they can't compete. And now you look at both of them, and A and M is the only one who has a good year every now and again. Yeah, normally they try to they yeah they go about eight and four. And then you look at basketball; they can't compete in yeah those either. It's like, what are you what are you doing? What do you get at? Well, you can make the argument for like, why did we include Nebraska in hindsight? Now looking at it, like they haven't done shit for us, or even Rutgers or Maryland. Maryland, I can kind of understand a little bit more. For basketball. Right. But Rutgers, Rutgers for either sport. I mean, now they're a little bit more competitive for basketball, but I, they're just more physical in basketball. They're not I, I think the only reason we added Rutgers is one of two things. Well, it's two things. And so we can have the school that created college football. Mm-hmm. And um, because they fit the mold within the Big Ten of healthcare. Yeah. Being one of those schools that are really pushing in advancing technology in the healthcare field, Mm -hmm. which is something that the Big Ten is really known for. Yeah. Academics. Um, So talk about the two first reasons. Last reason, oddly enough, like you mentioned, was money. Um, And the main reason why they have agreed to add these teams is because Stanford, Cal, and SMU have also agreed to forego a sizable portion of TV revenue from the ACC. Uh, SMU is expected to take no television money for its first nine years which is fucking crazy. Small school like that being like, you know what? You can keep your money as long as we're not in the what fucking American or whatever USA, yeah. whatever C-USA or something like whatever, that, whatever, whichever one they were in. And Cal and Sanford are expected to initially join at approximately thirty percent shares. For SMU, I can kind of understand that because the notoriety of being in, well, I guess, what the Power Four conferences now, yeah, makes sense. It, it adds to your recruitability. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's obviously not a long-term solution because it doesn't instantly put ACC teams on par with other schools from the SEC or Big Ten for media rights. So 
again, like I said, I think this was more of a security, if anything, of like, we have a feeling these two schools are going to leave. We need to get ahead of them before they just drop out Mm -hmm. and join the fucking Big Ten, which it sounds like they're most likely wanting to do. So last little bit of football news. Um, Coach Prime, so Deion Sanders, who was at Jackson State, who their head, new head coach actually won his first game. Mm-hmm. So, so let's prop, not keep shitting on him. I'm not shitting on him. Well, it, not you. Yeah, but props to him for at least continuing some success that Sanders had when he left, which is good. Um, but the kind of big knock on Coach Prime was like, if he were to go to an actual Power 5 school like this, would he be able to win really anything? Does he have that capability? And so this first game of the season this past weekend, he had his Colorado Buffaloes playing the TCU Horn Frogs, who are ranked. They're not they're middle of the pack. They were ranked 17th. And last year they were in the championship game. Yep. And um, it was a shootout, which isn't terribly surprising, seeing that it was basically a Big 12-style game because mm-hmm. Colorado will be rejoining the Big 12 next season. And yeah, it was like 48 to 45 or 45 to 42, something like that. It was only a field goal difference, but Colorado fucking pulled it off and not only just pulled it off, but like in amazing fashion Yeah, where I don't remember coach prime's son's name, but obviously his last name's Sauter Sanders, Sauter Sanders, 500 and 510 yards, Mm -hmm. four touchdowns, zero picks. Four of the receivers had 100 yards, which mm-hmm. had never happened. So you're spreading the ball around. You're not just relying on one or two guys. Yep. Um, one of their guys, Hunter is his last name. I don't remember his first name. Plays both wide receiver and corner. So he he was playing both ways damn near the entire game, which in of itself is a feat by itself. I mean, you see that in high school. You don't really see that in college much. No. You, as you progress through the levels, you tend to get more specialized into certain roles. You're not just kind of a jack-of-all-trades. You are really getting honed in on a certain set of skills. So the fact that he's playing both tells how much of an athlete he is. But, yeah, they went into TCU. It was a TCU home game and just went punch-to-punch with him and ended up beating him at the end. And it was kind of entertaining to watch but also just kind of crazy about how lack of defense there really is. I mean, Big 12 is kind of known for not having good defenses anyway. That's kind of my go-to with the high score and kind of how this game shaped out is it's the Big 12. Yeah, it was, and I mean, long passes for a lot of yards, just you know, whatever reason, not a whole lot of good deep cover defense. I don't know, but it was interesting. So now you have Coach Prime winning his first actual Power 5 game I don't know if we can say that he's legit yet. Yeah, I, that that was the question I posed here is because I saw a lot of sports heads already talking about that Colorado's legit and they're using the fact that they're playing TCU and beat TCU, who was in the championship last game or last season. I'm like, okay, but that changes every year, right? Yeah. There's not a lot of times that you see the same teams going to the championship every single year. I mean, yes, you see Georgia, you see Alabama, but like... But they have the pedigree to reload to the point to get to that point. TCU does not. Right. They lost their star quarterback. They lost, I'm pretty sure, one of their star receivers. Mm. Like, they lost key players that they had. They're not going to be the same team. And for me, it's like, it's one game. True. It's literally one game. Yes. Was it in, like, emphatic fashion? Yes. I mean, those are huge numbers. 
but you're also playing a Big 12 team that does not have solid defense. Now, they Colorado does have one of the toughest schedules in the nation. They are in the Pac-12s for this season, their last season, and they're playing a lot of ranked teams. They have USC to play. Mm-hmm. They have Oregon. They're mm-hmm. going to have to play Utah. I think they're playing Washington, too. So they're playing a lot of teams that are going to have, one, more stingier defenses, but also have just as much offensive firepower to match whatever you can do. So it's, right. it's I would say it's I not. I think there's some credibility. Yeah, it's great that he won his first game against a ranked team on the road Yeah, with having a roster that he built off of the transfer portal, literally. Mm-hmm. Didn't keep many of any guy from his previous season. So it's. It's impressive. Is he legit? I still don't know yet. I think once you get two weeks into conference play, then we can talk. Mm-hmm. Once you hit halfway through the season, we can start talking if they're legit. Like you can have flashes through the non-conference, but once you get into season play, I think that's where it's going to be. Because I mean, look how many times we've seen games at the preseason or the pre-conference level. Mm-hmm. And we're like, damn, this team is just gunslinging or they're they're the real deal. And then they get into conference play and next thing you know, they're getting piss pounded by every other team in the in the conference. So yeah. It'll be interesting to see. For sure. Uh moving into basketball. Yeah, so FIBA is almost done. I think what let me look at a calendar here. Yep, next Monday when we record. It'll be over. Well, at least that'll be the final game. That'll be the final game that day. So giving you kind of an update. So how the FIBA works is you have your first round of 32 teams, and then you go into second round, which cuts that in half because the winners of the first round go Mm -hmm. on to the second round. The losers go into the classification games of 17 through 32 on their rankings. After second round, whoever wins second round goes into the quarterfinals. How second round broke up was Italy and Serbia moved on, and that puts uh, Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic down. Lithuania and the USA advanced to the quarterfinals with Lithuania actually beating Team USA recently, 110 to 104. And that was a shocker to a lot of people um, because Team USA kind of just like brushed them off earlier. Mm -hmm. And I think they, no, they're not the only team who went undefeated, but Germany and Slovenia went on with Austria and what Georgia going to the loser's bracket, I guess Canada and Latvia being the last ones to round out the quarterfinals. So what that's going to look like is tomorrow on the fifth, you have Italy playing USA and then Germany, not there we go. Lithuania and Serbia playing tomorrow as well. And then on the sixth on Wednesday, you have Germany playing Latvia, whoever wins that plays the winner of USA and Italy. And then you also have Canada and Slovenia playing, and the winner of that plays the winner of Lithuania and Serbia. And then, if in case you're interested, those games are being played on Friday, September 8th. The winners, or the losers of those games, are playing in the third place game on Sunday, September 10th. And then the final will also be Sunday, September 10th for the winner of the FIBA World Cup. If I had to guess, I think USA is going to be Italy. I think Germany will be Latvia, just because Germany has a tougher team. But Latvia has been doing really, really well. 
So I think it's going to be USA versus Germany. I think Lithuania is going to beat Serbia, even with how good Serbia has been. And I think Canada is going to beat Slovenia. Going into that, I think, I don't know. I think Canada might actually beat Lithuania to put them in the final. And I do think Team USA will make it to the final and play Canada. So it's just going to be a North America championship. I think it will. (laughs) Who's going to win? That's tough. Because Canada's team is really, really good. Um, I would like to say Team USA, and I'm going to go with Team USA just because of the track record. But I would not be surprised if Canada did end up winning. I mean, and shit, and if Lithuania wins, kudos. I, I'd be cool with that too. But I think Team USA will pull it out after their shocking loss to Lithuania. But I think every team needs a little hip check yeah and i think they finally got it which it was a great time to show up because they were already in Mm, for sure so you you didn't lose anything except for some pride Mm -hmm. losing to this team so i think that was a good thing to happen but fiba's fiba's interesting this year yeah it is it's it's a good one like south sudan i was just reading this thing about south sudan the youngest country in the world right now 12 Mm -hmm. years old Mm -hmm. um last year their FIBA team was playing in a flooded concrete outdoor field pretty much last year. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why they even have like a team really is because Luau Dang, who is a former NBA all-star is funding the whole thing. Yeah. Like it's, it's their whole road to this thing is phenomenal. And so they're actually qualified for Paris Olympics next year. Oh, cool. So I'm rooting for South Sudan. Uh, they actually made it, to, I mean, to the FIBA World Cup, and so I'm, they're in the round of 17 to 32, so I'm interested to see how they place, but their whole story is really, really cool. That is a pretty cool story, because, you know, teams or places like that usually don't get any type of recognition, because, you know, it's just so disorganized and messed up system that they just don't have the funds to really show off any type of athleticism like that. So, you know, I'll root for South Sudan for the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, moving into our last couple of things here before we uh, end this episode for sports. I forgot to do this last week before the season actually started, but I wanted to kind of run through what I think the Iowa win total for this coming season would be based off of um, who they're playing on their schedule, when they're playing them, uh, how these teams were offensively and defensively last year, as well as uh, Iowa playing them for a lot of these in conference games, what's their record over the last five meetings, and then the overall series, and then their win totals from last year as well. So going into this, I figured Iowa would beat Utah State, right? Which we'll talk about the breakdown in here just a little bit. But So I figured that they'd win that one. So I was right there. Um, overall, I have Iowa going 8-4 and four this season with being 5-4, and four in the conference and then being fourth in the big 10 West. Now I'm only saying that mainly because I feel like, um, when they travel to happy Valley to face Penn state in a whiteout game, I'm assuming they're probably going to lose that one. It's probably fair. Just because it's going to be a very hostile environment with, uh, an Iowa offensive scheme. That's probably not going to bode well just because, and uh, our defense just having to carry most of the load. And I don't see them coming out of there with a win. I also see them losing against Wisconsin 
in Minnesota uh, in back-to-back games. Wisconsin is a home game, I believe. Nope, it's away. Minnesota's a home game. Mm-hmm. So I feel like going to Camp Randall in Madison, I have a feeling they'll probably lose that. It's basically been the home team wins this game for like the last five or six years. Generally, maybe just last four years. Um, so I feel like they're going to lose that. And I think they're going to lose in Minnesota. Now, I might be wrong on that after watching Minnesota play this past Thursday. And I made these predictions before that game when Minnesota played Nebraska. Um, but I think they'll end up losing to Minnesota just because their defense looked pretty stout. And they always, for the last several years under P.J. Fleck, have been pretty competent. And then I think their fourth loss is coming to Illinois. I disagree wholeheartedly. Disagree. You think they have one of the best defensive lines they in, the, about in the country lost to Toledo. Yes. And I said, I made this before watching or knowing any games for this past weekend. That's fair. So I was thinking, well, their defense is still supposed to be pretty solid. I'm not trusting Iowa's offense though. Iowa's defense, I think can still be pretty good. I think Illinois offense would be, edging Iowa's offense, and I think that gives them the win. That's what I was thinking. Um, Plus, it's later in the season, and, you know, like typical Big Ten teams, if you're doing better later in the season, you're generally going to, you know, beat Iowa for the most part. So I think Brett Bielma could probably pull out a win there. So I have them beating Utah State, Iowa State, and Western Michigan to start the season 3-0. Like I said, losing to Penn State, then beating Michigan State and Purdue, I'm feeling very confident on the Purdue one since yes, they just yes. lost to fucking Fresno State. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, losing Wisconsin, Minnesota, beating Northwestern and Rutgers, losing to Illinois, and then beating Nebraska. Now, I was kind of iffy on the Nebraska one for the end of the season until I saw their game on Thursday against Minnesota, and I'm like, oh, same old Nebraska. <laughs> you know, doing well enough to stay in the game for the, you know, three and Three, three and three-fourths of a fucking game and then shitting it away in the last five minutes because exactly what happened to them against Minnesota and they let Minnesota win on a last-second field goal. So I think in their defense, Nebraska's defense looked a hell of a lot better than last year, so I think their defense is going to be very challenging to work with. Um, their offense, you know, they found another dual-threat quarterback who can throw interceptions, so not too challenging there. So that's what I think is going to end up happening. Being eight and four, thoughts. Mm, eight and four sounds about right. Which it, would going into our next thing check off Brian Ferentz's contract check in. Yeah, because should we needs, have a running clock on that? Well, a lot of people do. Yeah, he needs to do pretty much two things to keep his job. It, well, no, let me rephrase that. He needs to do two things to keep his job. One is to win seven games. That would check that box, mm-hmm. and he's already a good start on that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is to have twenty five points per game. And what did he have? 24. 24. So, and that's something else I thought about. So, doing the breakdown of Iowa versus Utah State, because they played this past Saturday, Iowa won 24 to 14. I don't like the fact that Utah State scored 14 points. Um, And I'll get into that here in just a second. But, yeah, like you said, Brian Ferentz, it was all offense that scored the points. So it wasn't like defense helped him out at all or special teams. Right. So that's at least somewhat of a thing good for him. Um, they got the ball back, I think, within 40 seconds left on the clock. And they were within field goal range because Utah State had to go a four on fourth down and they didn't convert. 
And I thought to myself, I'm like, is Brian like telling his dad, can we please put the field goal unit out on the, on the field so I can get a couple of easy points and I can sleep better tonight, but they didn't. So I'm like, okay, that's interesting gamble there. Who knows how many points you're going to score for the next right. several games. My, my thought process is if you can't score more than 25 on Utah state, what is the, what are your teams that you're going to actually score more than 25 on mm-hmm. Illinois for me, um, Western Michigan, Rutgers, maybe Iowa state, maybe Iowa state. Yeah. Cause they lost some pretty good defensive players. Mm-hmm. Was that about it? Mm-hmm. Maybe Michigan state, maybe, Michigan maybe. State. maybe. And you said Nebraska is tougher, so probably not them. I would say probably not them. Potentially, at most, Minnesota. Yeah. But that's that, a gamble. That's like six games. Yeah. You're, there's no way. Yeah. There's no fucking way. So I broke it down a little bit uh, going quarter by quarter. So the first quarter was great. They had a first kickoff return that almost went for a touchdown. They got them within like the 35-yard line of Utah State on their first drive. So that's great. Uh, Brian Ferentz is making some great play calls and the offense was actually looking pretty good. They had two touchdowns, both passing in the first quarter and Cade McNamara's first pass as a Hawkeye was a 36 yard touchdown pass to Seth Anderson, who's also a transfer. So I'm like, Oh fuck. Cool. That's really nice. The offense is going to look pretty good today. By the second quarter, it slowed down a little bit already. Uh, play calling seemed to become more strained. The offensive line began to struggle with blocking running lanes, which if anyone watched the game, Utah State was using a lot of second string guys on their defensive line because their starters were actually injured before coming into this game. So that's kind of a whoa. If you can't block uh, second stringers for a Mountain West division, that's kind of problematic. Uh, McNamara was getting pressured some, though not a whole lot. Throughout the entire game, Iowa's offensive line was good at pass rush. Not so much, at, like I said, blocking for running lanes. Uh, they only had a field goal in the second quarter, and then they struggled to convert third downs. Uh, third quarter was feeling more like Iowa from last season, where the O-line was really struggling to give the running backs room to run, and receivers were not getting separation and had some dropped catches that would or should have been caught, in my opinion. There was one to uh, Nico Ragini that was in the end zone that could have been a touchdown if he just kind of held on to it. Uh, and there was one other one that also could have been a touchdown, and I'm forgetting what it was. Um, and then by the fourth quarter, uh, it was somewhat better. Uh, tight end Luke Lachey was really having a nice quarter. He converted two huge third downs to keep them in on their drive to score another touchdown, which... Caleb Johnson got their first rushing touchdown of the season. Um, and going into it, their defense overall throughout this entire game, I kind of was thinking, okay, this is a step down some. Not to say it wasn't going to be good throughout the season because I still have faith in Phil Parker to get them to where they need to be. But uh, Nwamka had an interception that was really big. Um, their second third string defense is what gave up the touchdown and the two point conversion to Utah state during the fourth quarter. So I don't a hundred percent blame the defense on that for getting so many points. Yeah, just a but, garbage touchdown. Yeah. So overall the O line still needs work, which is not a good sign since it's against a mountain West team. And Kirk Ferentz was saying that the O line had made great improvements since last year, which not currently seeing because 
for pass protection. And the defense overall is giving up too many yards and points to a team like this. But like I said, I'm not too worried about it. So for a first showing of Cade McNamara, I'm happy. He did what he was supposed to. He's a game manager and he scored touchdowns and he made really good decisions. There were points where he's being flushed out of the pocket and because he's still kind of harboring a little bit of a leg injury instead of running for it, which he normally would have done, he just threw the ball away and didn't give up any yards. So, And that was something we were missing last year is know when to throw the ball away. Yeah, and just getting rid of it, live for another down, which yep. he clearly understood. So that's the good news. Um, last little bit here, we want to talk about the University of Nebraska, their volleyball program, which is really good to give them credit. They're usually in the final four for volleyball every year, and they've won a couple of championships for the last 20 years. So they're pretty damn good. But they held a volleyball game in Memorial Stadium this past week, which drew more than 92,000 fans and set a record for the largest crowd to watch a women's sporting event in the United States. I thought it was just ever. No, not ever. There's a soccer game in like Barcelona that has like over 100,000 or something like that for women's soccer. Um, But all the teams that played in this kind of tournament within Memorial Stadium were all Nebraska teams. The Huskers won the tournament pretty easily, um, and they played against University of Omaha and just wiped them out 3-0. So it wasn't much of a challenge for them, but it's still a pretty cool thing. And you know what? I love volleyball. I really do. I think it's a fantastic sport. It's way harder than a lot of people give it credit for. Um, But I will say there's memes flying everywhere, but it's like, what else is there to do in Nebraska? Nebraska? So, I mean. They used to be good at football, but they're not now. So volleyball is their thing that they're consistently good at. Yeah. And it is cool that they filled an entire football stadium for just a volleyball match. I don't know why they didn't put it in the middle of the stadium. They had it off centered. They did. Yeah. Just I'm sure they didn't know how many they were actually going to have. Yeah, I mean, we did grapple on the gridiron in what in 2015. Um yeah. which I think would be cool to do again, but we only did half the stadium at that point. Um, yeah. they plan on doing a basketball game at Kidding Stadium this year. Women's basketball, which yep. I think they're playing DePaul, which I think they could probably sell out if they put it in the center. Um, I don't know if they could sell it out. I don't know. They sell out the games at Carver, but I don't think they'd be able to sell out Kinnick for a women's basketball game. You never know. True, you never know, but I, I'm for sure thinking that there will be a good crowd for this basketball game that they'll have at Kinnick. So, you as know, long as it doesn't snow. True. <laughs> it is in October, so who the fuck knows? All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the sports edition of the Detention Podcast. Uh, please spread the word and encourage others to listen as well. You can follow us on Twitter at DetentionPod1, or you can send us an email at DetentionPodcast1 at gmail.com. You can listen to the Detention Podcast on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And with that, your detention has been served. We'll see you again next week.